morning, everyone. Are you having fun here today? Isn't it good to have a little bit of fun in the house of God? We've been encouraged in worship. God spoke to us prophetically that he hasn't forgotten about us, that he's going to pour out a spirit on our lives, and then we get to invite people to be part of our community. And I really want to encourage you this summer that you would think about each week, who could I bring with me to church? Who could I bring with me to Stampede Breakfast? I mean, next week we have Canada Day uh, weekend. I know some of us are going to be away and others are going to be doing things, but for those that are here, bring somebody with you because God wants to touch people's lives. And I just want to encourage you as we jump into summer, something that was always told to me when I was younger, be faithful, stay a part of what's going on, and be connected. You can stay connected to our church in many different ways through coming, our our Facebook pages, our, our website. It's all there for you. Well, today I have the privilege of continuing a series that we started a few weeks ago called The Search for Truth. Now, As I jump into this today, uh, how many people do we have here today that are hockey fans? You you like hockey, uh, and and, and it happened as it kind of does each year. The Flames made a very big trade. Their team is is different today than it was a couple days ago. Now, now who here would say you think it was a good move? You'd give me a thumbs up. You'd be like, okay, I'm going to show thumbs up here today. Some of you are hockey fans. Some of you are probably World Cup soccer fans. How many of you you think they made a mistake that that was not a good move? They should have kept, okay. You know what? It's about 50-50 here today. And, and, And one of the things that I'm asking this about is that it seems that if we Look at different things in life. Everybody has an opinion. Everybody has a thought of what they think was good or bad or or did I like that decision or or what's going on in the world in politics. I mean, I don't even want to go there right now, but there are a lot of opinions about different things. And here's the challenge. It's hard to know the truth, especially if you listen to other people. Because you will get different opinions based on who you talk to. And it's easy to change what we believe based on evolving information. Therefore, I I say this, and this is kind of taking you through the last few weeks, that our opinions are not a good source for truth. That if we live by our own opinion or our own knowledge, we can end up being deceived. That's what I talked about a couple weeks ago, that we have to watch out that we don't deceive ourselves, that we don't fall for deception. So if we don't want to be deceived and we want to find truth, well, where do we do that? Well, we need an anchor in our lives that we can go to for truth. And my anchor, and I believe the anchor of most of us that are here today, is Jesus, that he is the one that we need to anchor our lives about. You see, it's not knowing about truth, it's knowing who truth is. And the way that we discover more about Jesus is through what? The Bible, the Word of God. And last week, Pastor Peter did a great job talking to you about the uniqueness and the awesomeness and the authority of the Word of God. We, we, we learn that, 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 that there's no other book like it in the whole universe. 
written over 1,500 years by over 40 different authors. And here's what's crazy about it. It has flow. It has, it has all sorts of teaching in it. And it's 100% accurate. Whoa. You see, man could not do that by himself. There has to be a divine authority behind it. God who gave us his son, Jesus Christ. So if we want to know the source of all truth, then we learn about Jesus through studying his word. Now today I want to talk about something along those lines. I want to go a little bit deeper. I want to talk about science, modern day science and the Bible. Now many claim that science and the Bible are at odds with each other. That you cannot be, that you, that you will either live by faith, worshiping a God that you cannot see, you cannot touch, feel, or hear, or you will depend on those things that are observable, those things that are provable through the laws of science. And there are many people who wrestle with this, who, who, who will even say things like, you know, I believe there could be a God, but it's really hard for me to reconcile in my life how this could be provable. How is it true that God really does exist? And you see, this type of reasoning comes from the core of modern, modern science, or what we call the scientific process. That in order for things to become truth, or what we would say are real, they have to follow this process. The process is this. You observe something in nature, so you form a question. Well, why are plants green? I want to figure out why are plants green. Then I create a hypothesis. Well, I think plants are green because, well, well maybe, uh, maybe they're green because it keeps them cooler on hot days. That could have been your first hypothesis. Or eventually we get to, well, the green part is what draws sunlight in, so that becomes a hypothesis. And then you produce an experiment. You, you put plants in sunlight and you put other plants not in sunlight. You see what grows, what doesn't grow. Some die, some live. And then you analyze the data. And then you form a conclusion. I guess that sunlight, the plants are green because that's what draws sun to them. And, and, and so we go on and, we, and, that, and that's how the scientific process works. You see, in order for it to be truly a part of the scientific process, it first of all has to be observable. It has to be something that you can see. Secondly, it has to be reproducible. It's something that has to be able to be done again. It can't be just this one-time thing. It's got to be something that you can see over and over again that, yep, this is exactly what happens. And then we say, well, that's truth. But here's where problems occur. When we begin to talk about processes and things we cannot observe, like the creation of the universe. That's not something that we can just say, you know what? Let's do that all over again. I'm going to run an experiment. No, we're, we are where we are today, that, that we know that the universe came into existence at some time. How about the creation of life? Well, we, we weren't here when life first was formed, so we have things that we can observe from the way that reproduction works, and, and, and we see that, that how different animals exist and organisms and people. We can study those things, but we weren't there in the very beginning. How about the existence of miracles? These are things that defy 
the laws of science at times. We hear about people being sick. Do people really get healed? Can people be healed? And maybe you know somebody in your life at some times that God healed them. It's a miracle. It, 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 it kind of counteracts what the scientific process would be about. Or how about the existence of an afterlife? Well, can we believe in that? Well, we, we don't know. We're not there. <laughs> so when we look at certain things in our world, it's hard to always find the proof. We want the proof. So when you don't have the proof, what do you do? Well, then you have to look at the evidence. Well, what is the evidence? When it comes to the validity and the accuracy of the Christian faith, we have to understand this. Either it holds up to cross-examination or it's a fraud. Either the Bible is 100% accurate and truthful or it's just another good book. Either historical events, miracles, and prophecies occurred or they did not. You see, truth holds up to the power of scrutiny that when you put it under the fire of scrutiny, it will become more readily there, you'll see it. And the more you expose things to cross-examination, the stronger it becomes. Well, why am I talking about this? Well, if we don't find undeniable proof, then we look for ev evidence. Now, one of my wife's favorite television shows, I like it too, but this is one of her favorites, was, is CSI, Crime Scene Investigators, especially the original one, the Las Vegas one. I know they've come up with all sorts of offshoots, but she was a CSI Las Vegas. If you're ever around Jan and you turn and you, you look at the TV, there's three different types of shows she wants. I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you this right now. There's crime scene television, like the first 48, all that. That that's she loves that. She loves anything on sharks, you know. She just we record shark. I, I swear I'd like, honey, we've seen that one like eight. No, we're recording. Okay, shark week it is. And Hallmark. Movies. Those are, the, those are the things. You know, we kill people, we see things that eat people, and then we get together and we love each other as a family. So, that's what she enjoys. But the reality is, is that when they come to a crime scene, they, they, they're looking for the evidence, so they piece back together what is it that actually we believe happened from the evidence that we see. You see, I, I, I know this. My, my son, I don't always see him grabbing food and eating it in my kitchen. But there's evidence, usually, that food has been eaten. Things are no longer in the pantry, that there are crumbs on the table, so I can deduce from the evidence that he, in fact, did eat the cookies. <laughs> you see, when we look at the world all around us, we can see the fingerprints of God. If we know what we're looking for, if we know how to look. And, and the thing about the scientific process that we have to understand that it's not without bias because the person that's observing the facts has a thought or a, or a conclusion in their own mind that they believe that might happen. And so sometimes it's if we want to see God, we will find him when we look for him. You see, here's what King David wrote about the universe in Psalms chapter 19 verses 1 to 4. He says, the heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. 
Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make him known. They speak without a sound or a word. Their voice is never heard, yet their message has gone throughout the earth and their words to all the world. This is King David. He says, look around you. The heavens declare God's fingerprints on our universe. Paul wrote who's a great teacher and early church leader in Romans chapter 1, verse 20. He said this, For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, so they have no excuse for not knowing God. Well, how can we be sure of this? I mean, what if this is just Paul's opinion? What if King David was just writing something because he, you know, he felt inspired in his heart? How do we know that it's true? Well, I believe we can begin to look at the evidence that's around us. And so today we're going to look at some evidence, at some situations that the Bible talks about. And I'm going to let you form your own conclusion about what is truth here. First of all, when we talk about things that happen in the Bible, we can look at the archaeological record. Well, did certain events happen? Were certain cities in the Bible where they said they were? And so we have people that have throughout history gone and searched ancient ruins. We see in Egypt that the pyramids are still there. They're one of the seven wonders of the world. We know that the pyramids exist because we can see them. Now, there's a story in the Bible about Jericho, the walls of Jericho, that when the Israelites were, 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 had just been freed from the promised land and their leader that they'd had since the beginning of their nation being for Moses had just died, Joshua was preparing to take them into the land of Canaan, their promised land. And we know that the story was this, that, that after wandering around for 40 years in the desert, that they came to Jericho, and Jericho was a mighty city. It was a fortified city. It had these incredibly thick and strong walls. And so the story goes that this is what happened, that they, they, they looked at the city, and they're like, well, how are we going to conquer it? And here's what God's plan was, God's directive was, that they were to march around the city for seven days. And on the seventh day, they were to march seven times. And after marching seven times, they were to blow the trumpets and shout a loud shout. And that's exactly what they did. And the Bible says that the walls came tumbling down. And that the Israelites went into the city. They conquered it. They destroyed the people and burned the city with fire. Well, you know, there's some non-biblical scholars, people that have studied this information, and in fact, the walls of Jericho, when they uh, did the excavation of the site, were definitely, they had collapsed. There's no doubt about that. And what all the scholars also saw was that the city had been burned with fire. That, that was very provable. But what some of the non-biblical scholars said was, no, no, wait a second. The reason these walls fell down was an earthquake happened. It was an earthquake. It was a natural disaster. Well, that seemed reasonable maybe for some, except that they found two anomalies. An archaeologist by the name of Kathleen Kenyon found this, that the two things that kind of 
were, were, were anomalies in this. First of all, when the walls fell down, they all fell outward or towards the invading army. Now, now if it was an earthquake, would the walls all fall universally the same way? Maybe. It's plausible, but it would be very unlikely that that would happen. That they would fall out. And the second anomaly that they found was that the north wall didn't fall at all. That it was completely intact. Now, what happened? Was it because of stronger architecture? I mean, you could have a lot of different words, but, the, but if we, we know the biblical account of what happened in Joshua chapter 6 was this, that one of the things that happened is that when the Israelites, before they took the city, they sent some spies into the city. And they were met by a prostitute named Rahab. And Rahab hid the spies, and she said, I will, I will hide you, but under one condition, because you see the city uh, the army, the city, the, the uh, police, the officers were trying to find these spies that they knew had come in. But, but what ended up happening is Rahab said, if, you, if I will hide you, will you promise me that my family, my whole family will be spared? And they said, as long as you stay in your house. Well, it just so happens that her house was on the wall on the north side of the city. Was it a selective earthquake or was it the hand of God? Hmm. How about the astrological record of the universe? Now, many years ago, the NASA scientists were, were doing a, a, a look at time and how time related to the launches. You see, when you're launching satellites, sending deep space probes, you're, you're looking at having man to have space travel, who here knows that, that, that you need your calculations to be very exact and very precise? You know, who here watched the movie Hidden Figures? You've seen that great show. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. And, you know, it was always about the math. What was the math right? And so as they were going through the math... And they were looking through the, the records, and they were actually looking from the past. They went way back, because they were also projecting a thousand years into the future, because they knew that how orbits and all this stuff should work. They discovered that there was a day missing from the calendar. And they couldn't figure out what was going on. And so they scratched their heads and they, they began to, to, to talk to one another about what could it be. And there was a man that was a part of their team, didn't say his name, who made the statement. He said, well, I, I believe there's a story in the Bible about a day that happened in, in the Old Testament. That, that there was a a place in the Bible, he said, where I believe that the God had the sun stand still for a whole day. Well, the story he was talking about was a story as well in Joshua, when they were battling the Amorites, that, that, that Joshua made a crazy request. He asked God for the sun to stand still so that he could defeat all of his enemies. You see, and here's what happened in Joshua chapter 10, verse 11 and 13. It says, as they fled before Israel on the road, down from Beth Haran to Azekah, the Lord hurled large hailstones down on them, and more of them died from the hail when, than were killed by the swords of the Israelites. On the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, Stand still, son, stand still over Gibeon, 
and you moon over the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped and the nation, till the nation avenged itself on its, imini, on its en- enemies. 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 Amenemony, <laughs> you know the... And it says, the sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down for about a full day. Well, as NASA scientists reviewed this time and event on the astrological calendar, they discovered that it almost solved the mystery of the missing day, except for the fact that there were still 40 minutes they couldn't account for. You see, where it said that the sun delayed going down for about a full day, almost a full day, it hadn't quite been a full day, so they're like, but we're still missing 40 minutes, well, where did it go? Well, then another scientist pointed out, well, there's another story in the Bible where King Hezekiah was needing the miracle of being healed. And to prove that God was involved in the miracle, God said, I'm going to move the sundial back 10 steps or 10 degrees. Isaiah 38, verses 7 to 8. This is the Lord's sign to you that the Lord will do what he has promised. I will make the shadow cast by the sun go back 10 steps. It has gone down on the stairway of Ahaz. So the sunlight went back 10 steps. It had gone down. After some scientific analysis, it was proven that the 10 steps backward on the sundial were exactly 40 minutes. The mystery of the missing day had been solved with the Bible and science working together. Now lastly, I want to talk about the biological record You see, when we talk about life, the question of where life began has been something that scientists and people have discussed for centuries. And in today's world, the predominant teaching is the theory of evolution. It is taught in schools, universities, and promoted by the majority of scientists. In evolution, we have it starts with the origin of species, that, 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 that really what this theory talks about is all species have descended from a common species. Maybe you've heard about the survival of the fittest, that over time, stronger organisms and species survive to propagate life, that only the strongest will survive, the weakest will be eliminated, they will become extinct, they will no longer exist. And that humans are a higher species descendant from other animals. Most commonly, it's talked about that we come from apes, the imposable thumbs. You've probably heard these discussions many times. And so there's been a lot of studies about, well, where did life come from? And that the life emerged from nothing, and the universe began with the Big Bang Theory. You see, over time, simple organisms evolved into something more complex. Now, I know I just explained a theory that people have spent their whole lifetimes developing, Charles Darwin being the prime example. But there's some challenges for me when I look at this as the answer. You see, something can never come from nothing. Something can never come from nothing. It's impossible. 
And there have not really been any credible gap organisms that have come from different species that are reproducible. Like, where is that bridge really between apes and man? Where do we see it? Where do we find it? Now, there's been attempts at people to look at different things to kind of go, well, I I think that could be it, but nothing that is solid or, or strong enough. You see, the closest thing we have is the taking a horse and a donkey to make a mule. But here's the problem. If you have a mule, the problem with the mule is they cannot reproduce. And so it's not sustainable. It is not something that can go forward. You cannot put two mules together. But my biggest issue, that when we look at these theories and are they compatible, is that evolution attempts to explain life, where life came from without the existence of God. It tries to remove God from the equations. You see, it violates the law of entropy. Well, what is the law of entropy? It's, one of the, it's the second law of thermodynamics. And it's this that entropy basically states that systems are going from a place of order to disorder. That things don't on their own just suddenly improve and get better, that if you leave things alone for a period of time, they will not become more organized. It will either deteriorate or become more disorganized and chaotic. You know, I I wanted this law not to exist when I was a child because my parents would tell me things like, you need to clean your room. And my hope would be that if I just closed the door and I left it, that somehow, by a miracle of God, it would organize itself and it would become clean. You see, it doesn't matter if I had a deck of cards with me today that were all in order, the four suits from ace all the way up to the king, and they were in their suits, that if I threw that deck of cards up in the air a thousand times every day for a million years, do you believe that it would ever restack itself perfectly like it did before? It could not happen. It would not happen. If I somehow left them disorganized on my coffee table and I, and I left them alone and I, and I went away for days, months, years, somehow do you believe that those cards would stack themselves and put themselves away in the box? You see, this is what evolution claims has occurred. And the evidence doesn't support the theory. You see, if I had all the building materials to build my house and they were stacked on my front lawn, regardless of how long I left it, the house would never build itself. (coughs) Who are my construction guys? Wouldn't that be great? (coughs) You just buy the material and it builds itself. It just can't happen. They talk about where our Earth is located in the solar system. It's called the Goldilocks effect. Now, I know there's been a lot of debates over this part of the theories that are out there that it used to be taught to me when people were a little less educated that if the Earth even moved just slightly out of its orbit, we would all either burn up or freeze to death. Well, that's not true because the reality is in the wintertime when it's colder here, the sun, that, that we're actually closer to the sun than we are in the summertime. But what it does talk about is that the earth is placed in the right solar system, in the right proximity to the sun, 
with the right atmosphere so that life can go forward. That if we moved closer to the sun, if we move, let's say, a couple million miles closer to the sun or, or, or a billion miles, whatever it is, because it's a long ways, that our life would be compromised, especially if our atmosphere deteriorated in any way, shape, or form. We would burn up. And if we move farther from the sun, much farther, or our atmosphere began to dissipate, we would eventually freeze to death and life would be unsustainable. You see, the fossil record points to some form of creation. That in the fossil record, what we see when you look at the different sedimentary deposits that are on these ocean floors or in the Grand Canyons or places where they find fossils, that they see that there was, first of all, the sudden appearance of life then long periods of stasis. What stasis means, that life forms were observed that, that, that reproduced the same species, that we see reproduction of the same species over and over again. That when you find the dodo bird or a particular dinosaur, that's what you find when you look at animals that have become extinct. You do not find evidence of a dodosaur. That all of a sudden, there's extinction. You see, you can take fruit flies. Who here ever did fruit fly experiments in high school? I remember when I was in high school that, you know, one of the things that they used that I don't know if they do anymore, they would take either and put the fruit flies to sleep. Well, my friends and I thought it would be hilarious to throw the fruit flies all over the classroom while they were asleep. It was a great thing to hear about what happened when the next class showed up. They thought they were being attacked and invaded by Fruit flies. Well, you, when you study fruit flies, which is part of genetics, you look at, do they have red eyes and white eyes? Well, here's what they've discovered, that regardless of how many times you zap them with radiation to create mutations, which is part of what people say, well, that's part of evolution, that you would see certain things happen. You'd find fruit flies with extra sets of eyes or wings. That does happen. You'd find legs where the wings should be or eyes on the fruit fly's belly. But here's the reality. No matter how many changes happened to the fruit fly, it was still always a fruit fly. It never became a new species. You see, there's a limit to adaptation or what we call microevolution. But the biggest thing I want to talk about is that when we look at the world around us, and we begin to see what God created, we have a thing what we call intelligent design. That every cell has DNA or a blueprint for life. Organisms that we at one time thought were basic and simple, we are now realizing are more complex. If I can have some of my pictures up on the screen here today. You see, here's what I, whoever saw a protozoa under the microscope in your biology class. Your teacher had you go get a mud puddle and there's this guy in here. Simple. It doesn't look like there's much, but under an electron microscope, let's see what he looks like now. Well, he's kind of got all sorts of detail, all sorts of the hairs and filaments, and if they broke it down uh, smaller, we could see even things inside of the cell material. Our next slide is we've got some different viruses, things that cause, you know, you know what this guy is? This is the common cold right here. 
yeah, we don't like him. <laughs> and I like this guy even less, the next one that's going to come up. Yeah, this is the flu bug. And it's a virus. Did you know viruses are incredibly microscopically small? But there's detail, and they're discovering that as they even look deeper into these things, they're more complex and complicated than we could only imagine. My last one here is this is a virus that's actually attacking red blood cells, moving into them. You see, we see the complexity of life that God has. You see, with the advent of more powerful microscopes and greater understanding of genetics and cellular biology, it becomes more apparent that life in the world around us was created with purpose and intention. From the smallest cell to our expanding universe, there must be an originator and there has to be a creator. Now, if we believe that there's a creator, then we have to understand that God has a great purpose for people's lives. And I want to just today play a video and then we're going to close here. I'm going to invite Margo to come up that just talks about this concept. Let me ask you a question. Yeah. Darwin wrote uh, The Origin of Species in 1859, published it in 1859. He had an idea of the cell as being quite simple, correct? Yeah, everybody did. Yeah, okay. If, if he thought of the cell as being a Buick, what is the cell now in terms of its complexity by comparison? A galaxy. If Darwin thought a cell was, say, a mud hut, what do we now know that a cell is? More complicated than uh, a Saturn V. So what is in a cell as far as we know now? A world that Darwin never could have imagined. I needed someone who could give me a glimpse into this world. So we went to molecular biologist Doug Axe. Think of a cell as being a nanofactory, a factory where on a very small scale, Digital instructions are being used to make the components of the factory. Here we have the famous DNA double helix. You can see the two helical strands that are intertwined and wind around each other on the outside of the molecule. This is the material that stores all of our genetic information. In higher life forms, this will be the equivalent of something like a gigabyte of information stored in the molecules that form the individual chromosomes all packed within the nucleus, which is a tiny fraction of the entire cell size. So what does DNA do? Well, the information in DNA ends up providing the information for sequencing the amino acids to make protein. We have information in a one-dimensional form that provides the information for a three-dimensional form.
I'm finally just beginning to grasp the complexity of the cell. Are there systems within the cell that go well beyond Darwinian evolution? Some type of cellular technology that drives adaptation, replication, quality control, and repair? What if these new mechanisms have massive design implications? Well, I say, so be it. The cell really is like nothing we've ever seen in the physical world. That's got to be firmly grasped. That's, that's, that's not something we can just say, oh, well, it's just a little bit more of the same old, same old. It's not the same old, same old. What we are finding is that there's information that's in the cell that cannot be accounted for in terms of these undirected material causes. So there's, it has to be. And, and so there's, there's yeah. some, some other, so there has to be an information source. So one of the key questions faced by modern biology is, where do you get information from? Well, uh, Darwin assumed that the increase in information comes from natural selection. But natural selection reduces genetic information. And we know this from all the genetic population studies that we have. And where is the new genetic information going to come from? Well, that's the big question. What does this mean for us here today? You know, I've talked today about science and the Bible that I believe with all of my heart that in Genesis chapter 1, it says that we were made in God's image, that we are made in his likeness. Psalms 139.14 says this, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful and I know that full well. You see, when we take God out of the equation, when we take Bible out of the equation, it begins to diminish who he created us to be. You see, you are not just some random speck of flesh that's walking around the universe hoping to survive. You're not an animal that, that just has certain things that you do because of these animalistic qualities in you. You were made with unique design and special intention. I say this today, that each and every one of you, you have great purpose. You, have, you are God's greatest and most precious creation. You see, I believe this, that each and every one of us was meant to live with God both now and forever. We don't get to choose our gender. We don't get to choose our necessarily who, what we're going to look like. It's out of the fingerprint, the DNA, the decisions of God that he makes for us. You see, I believe this. God is in control of the universe. And he will take control of each one of our lives if we give him our life. You know, today as I was praying about what God put in my heart to share, I believe that some people here today, that you aren't sure what your purpose is in life. Or maybe you have lost your purpose. You see, 
the one who created the heavens and the earth, the galaxies, this incredible detail, the one who stopped time centuries ago, the one who broke down the walls of Jericho so that his people could move into their promised land is here for you today. He's real and he's alive. And he wants to speak life to you and to your heart.